0: Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? That's pretty good. That's pretty good. So glad you're here today. My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors around here. Um, If you're a guest with us today, man, thank you uh, so very much for being here. Listen, it's raining. It's cold. Apparently, we moved, all of us moved without knowing it, to Seattle or Portland or some rainforest jungle where it's cold. Uh, But uh, you're here today, so like... You're champions you guys are You guys are heroes, whether you know it or not you're heroes. You could be at home watching this online or just eating chips and salsa, which would be totally cool right now because I love some chips and salsa. like how many of you know that when we get to heaven, I just believe this in my heart uh, I don't have any word for it, but as we walk in there's little goblets of salsa with chips <laughs> that we get to have as we meet we. Like, Jesus wants us to eat chips and salsa as we see him for the very first time. I, I believe that. Um, you can believe what you want, but that's what I'm gonna believe. I don't even know how I got here right now. I was trying to say welcome and glad you're here, but uh, we're so glad you're here. A um, couple things real quick. Growth track happens right after this service. You just saw it in the announcement package. This is the best, quickest way to plug in around here or, to, or figure out who we are, where we're going. If you're new here. Um, also tonight our students are gathering but I, I gotta let you know about this thing in your chair right here and this is a little invite card um, this is a book written by a guy named Levi Lusco, pastors up in the great northwest which apparently we've all moved to um, amazing book about love and marriage and dating and, and sex and we're gonna kinda borrow a little bit from it, um, particularly its artwork because the artwork is rad you know what I'm saying, from those of you from the 80's we're still allowed to say rad um, and so um, Take that and invite somebody this week, uh, the next week. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to learn some good stuff. And I promise you, you'll have fun being here and learn some cool stuff. So do that if you don't mind. Uh, I'm going to do, uh, we're going to start the series next week. Today, I just want to do something that I feel like God's been talking to me about personally. Just, and what I've kind of m- maybe understood is maybe this isn't for everybody. Maybe it's just for a few people and me. And so I hope you'll bear with me as I sort of uh, unpack this today. I'm going to talk about uh, In the Middle in the middle. You know, isn't it true that most of the time when you hear personal stories that people might tell in public, like in a, in a small group or, or at church about trusting God, about having faith during your struggles, during the dark seasons, um, the difficult seasons, they tend to tell you those stories after they've come through that season. You ever notice this, right? I, I know that most of the time when I tell personal stories of, of struggle that's happened in my life, um, or, or times where I didn't get things right and I was doing things wrong, that I only tell them after I've come through them and I'm now on the other side. I, I think it's much easier to sell, to, 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 to say to people, look at me, I went through what you're going through and, and, and now I'm out of it and you can be too, than it is to say, no man, I'm still struggling with that and it's hard and I'm not sure how it's going to work out. Right? Isn't it easier to sell the other side of the story rather than, hey, I'm in the middle of it still right now? R- rarely do you hear somebody say in a space like this, hey, church, I'm really struggling personally with this thing right here, and I don't know how I'm gonna make it through that. But what you find is that people will tend to hide out and mask and cover up uh, the middle of it. They'll, they'll tell stories of times before the troubles. They'll they'll tell stories about how it was like to come out of the trouble, but rarely do you have people stand up and say, no, 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 I'm still in the struggle. I don't know if you guys are readers or not. I love to read. I I probably read, I don't know, 40 books a year, 50 books a year. I'm like a single librarian with cats, you know what I'm saying? Um, If you're a librarian, no offense, you know what I'm saying? You, You ever read a book that is just so intense that that like in the middle of it, you're like, I gotta go to the end, I gotta skip to the end to make sure that this person's actually gonna make it through or else I don't wanna read anymore. Anybody ever do this? Nobody reads anymore, I see how that is, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, unfortunately, we, we don't have that advantage when it comes to our own personal stories, do we? Like, like we, we just have to walk it out. And through the middle, and we have to sort of take whatever's coming and, and just hope for the best. That's what I wanna talk about today is, is in the middle. There, there's, this, there's this kind of famous biblical character named um, Elijah. You've heard of him probably, even if you're not a Bible person or not a Christian, you've probably heard of a guy named Elijah. He's one of the f- sort of famous prophets uh, from the Old Testament. He's referenced even in the New Testament in several places. Well, his story is a story of great highs and great lows and, and, and sort of all the places in between. Uh, to the extent that at some point you see that he's, he's thinking about like offing himself, like that's how bad some of the low points got. But there's a story that we read about in 1 Kings chapter 18, and I, I don't have time to read it all, I just want to paraphrase it to you. But but Elijah is like bowed up and he's like mad about his king, King Ahab, who was an evil king, whose wife Jezebel was even more evil and they have led the people away from the worship of the one true God to the worship of, of, of idols, and, and, and specifically this, this, this idol called Baal. And sometimes you see Baal in, in plural. There must have been multiple kinds of Baals. And so he, call, he, he calls him out. Now, now the, but uh, Ahab's been hunting him, trying to find him and kill him. So for him to come up to Ahab and get up in his face and be like, hey, bro, it's time you and I had this out, I want you to get all the people of Israel. I want you to take them up to, to Mount Carmel. I want you to bring all of your your so-called prophets and priests of Baal and we're going to have like a throwdown. Like like we're going to have a throwdown like a like a like a faith duel. And 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 you bring them there, and I'm going to meet you there. I want you to bring two bulls, and we're going to slaughter them. And this was during a the the, the the season in our history or in in history where it was commonplace to sacrifice animals to their sort of deities. And so it's weird for us, but but back then it was sort of normalized. And so they get the bulls, and they set up their their their, their altar over here. The, these 450 prophets, and then there's Elijah over here, and he's just kind of watching this thing. Goes and he's like, here's what's going to happen. Whichever one of our quote gods can and bring fire down and consume the sacrifice. Let him be God, and everybody's like, "That sounds good to us." All the people said, "That sounds good to us." And so here, here they go, man. The prophets, you like, you guys go first, and so they they do the thing. There's 450 of them. There's only one of Elijah, and, and you know they're they're chanting and they're calling on the name of Baal, and they're like, "Hey, you know, come down." And they do this all the way to noon, and around noon, Elijah's like. This is so funny. you got to read the Bible because it's the most interesting thing ever, right? And so, like, like Elijah's like, so where, where's your God, man? Is he, like, traveling? Like, he says it just like this. He's like, perhaps we should wake him up. Maybe he's taking a nap. Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's, maybe he's somewhere in deep thought, and he's just laying it on. And so they, they amp it up, and they're, like, cutting themselves and dancing around and screaming. And it says about the time of the evening sacrifice, he's like, all right, time out. enough, enough. Now watch what I got going on over here. And so he rebuilds the, te- the, the altar to God, which they had torn down. And he puts it up the 12 stones, representing the 12 tribes. He gets all that, he gets the firewood involved. You know, he gets the sacrifice, the bull there. And then he's like, let's take it up to a level. You know what I'm saying? And so he has them dig a trench all the way around, and he goes, bring four large pots of water. They dump it onto the sacrifice, onto the wood, onto the rocks, you know, do it again. And they do it again, and he goes, do it again. So 12 giant pots of water to the extent that the whole trough is full of water. Right? And he's like, all right, God, here we go. So that you can prove to the people that you are God you know, do the thing, and he backs up, and then fire comes down from the heavens, consumes the rocks, consumes the wood, consumes the the bull, consumes even all the water around, and everybody falls to their face, all the people, the the thousands and thousands of people, they fall to their face, and they say, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God, and Elijah's like, boom, you know what I'm saying, (laughs) boom, and and then he's like, get all these 450 punks over here, and we're going to take them out, Can I just say it like that and not get all too graphic and violent, which is what my nature, I'm not really violent. I just like to talk about it sometimes. (laughs) And so now he's like up on a high, right? But that's the end of this particular chapter in his life, this story. But let's back up a little bit and look at what it was like in the middle. 1 Kings chapter 17, if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. 1 Kings 17, verse 1 Here's what the Lord says. Now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, that evil king, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, and he's just like throwing something out there. There will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Like, that's audacious. Come on, y'all you know what I'm saying? Like, I could say something like, hey, y'all, let me tell y'all about me right now. When y'all go outside today, it's gonna be cold and wet. And y'all be like, whatever, dude, it already is, right? But if I say, when you get out there, it's gonna be 85 and sunny, he'd be like, hey, that brother's at a hoe never level. I'm gonna say that a lot today because I just feel like saying it, so here we go. So, he says, after this, he says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Careth Ravine. Now, he's got to hide because this guy's going to come at him again and try to kill him. East of the Jordan, you will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. And so, if you have your Bibles underlined this next phrase, so he did what the Lord had told him. So, so he did exactly what God said to do. He went to the Careth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. Now, if I was him, I'd be like, well, what about lunch? Because, like, I see the morning, and I see the evening, but I'm going to need some lunch. But that's just how I I would be. Anyways, that's how I read the Bible, y'all. And then he drank from the brook. Like, God's like, hey, there's going to be drought in the land, but I want you to go down by this brook. And every morning, every evening, I'm going to bring you a sandwich. And he's like, yes! I told that punk King Ahab that it wasn't going to rain, and boom, it's not raining, dude's going to suffer, I'm going to be eating raven sandwiches and water, spring water, I'm on the man, now, another thing I would have been asking myself is, wait a minute, ravens, because like every time I see a raven, they're always eating roadkill, you know what I'm saying, (laughs) like, y'all don't, y'all don't, y'all wash your paws, or your, what what do they call those, feet, what are they, they're feet, whatever, (laughs) Y'all wash those feet before you, and don't be, bring me some roadkill, because he's like, how'd they get this meat so tender? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't know why I always go to the Shrek voice, but I just worked that out. It's like 18,000 camel foot stepped on that meat along the way. It's roadkill back in the day. See how that worked? Donkey feet? I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. It brings up this point for me. Sometimes as believers, we can tend to think that because we are following Jesus and we are doing what God said, like like Elijah did here, that, that that will sort of necessarily mean that life will just be better and smoother than for folks who don't believe in Jesus. But when we believe that, we're fooling ourselves. That The truth is that sometimes God himself will lead us to places that aren't comfortable, that stretch us, that are that to, 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 to the edge of desperation even, that oftentimes life will be in the middle, in, 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 in the in-between, in, in between the now and the, and the not yet. Some of you think, well, I don't, I don't know about that. Like I heard this television preacher saying something totally different. Let's look at the verse. Who told Elijah to go to the brook to have his needs met? Right? God did. So, so read verse seven now with me. Sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Now, when I read this, my first instinct is to go, what? How can God, who knows everything and obviously knows that the brook is going to dry up, send him after, you know, his audacious faith to a place where he knows that the bottom is going to fall out, that there is no water in the land. He can't run down to the Valero and, or Circle K now. Come on, y'all, I'm still confused about all that. And, and, and get a bottle of water, and God says, hey, I'm gonna supernaturally provide you with food, but you're gonna run out of water. What? Do, do you think he gets scared in that moment? Do you, do, do you think he realizes... And and by the way, the brook doesn't dry up in one day. He's watching this thing shrink over time. And he's like, man, a little while ago, I prophesied that there would be no rain. There ain't any rain. So now I'm gonna make that brook stay big, you know? And as it starts to shrink and get smaller, he's like, God, I believe you. God, I know you can. God, I know you will. That doesn't say that, but I know how human our our instincts are. And yet the brook dries up anyway. You think he's scared in that moment when he realizes, wait a minute, the prophecy I gave is now turned its, 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 it's biting me what's going on God where are you at I thought you loved me I, I did exactly what you said do, do you remember the day that you discovered that life wasn't going to turn out exactly the way that you thought it was like I, I don't remember a specific day in my life but I remember a specific year where I was like oh wait a minute I'm really not all that for me, it was, a, it was 35 years old. I'm 47, so it's only been 12 years since I realized, oh, Danny, you're really not all that. Some of y'all still have to learn that lesson. Anyways, it, it happens to everybody sooner or later, doesn't it? All, all of us have dreams and wishes and goals and expectations that for any number of reasons don't happen. Plans fizzle, things change, expectations don't work out the way we thought. People let us down or we let ourselves down dreams are delayed maybe we just wanted to be married and other people are married like why, why can't I be married why do I have to be single and I don't want to be some people want to be single and that's cool but if they don't and then it feels like well why do I have to be like that it seems like the older I get the less likely it's going to happen and that brings frustration and and hurts and and pain and then some people just want a baby and they're like why, why God why God can't we have a baby we prayed we're doing what you said and we can't have a baby what's wrong with wanting a, a child everybody else has kids so some of us just want to be in better health. Well, why am I so unhealthy? How did I get the bad end of the gene pool? Right. That's what I. That's why I always tell my mom, what did y'all? Why did y'all wait till the last to have me? I got all the bad stuff, right? Like the, the the other kids took all the good stuff, and now you left me with all the bad stuff, right? Why why is that my, my lot in life? Why why do I always have to go to the doctor? Why am I always the one that's sick? So some of us are frustrated in our careers. We're still in the cubicle instead of the corner office that we dreamed about. Now it feels like. It's too late to switch streams in the middle. So we feel trapped. I guess I'm going to have to do things I don't really want to do for the rest of my life. Some of us have marriages that are best, are mediocre, and this isn't the relationship we dreamed about on our wedding day. Remember remember the day, remember the joy, remember the promises that we made, the trust, the excitement about our future, and that reality is is that our marriage is now, it doesn't reflect those moments. We we all have this picture of the way that our lives were going to turn out, and and, and we've all sat around dreaming of what it will look like when we sort of arrive, but what happens when the reality doesn't match the dream? What happens when we're honest and, and our life doesn't measure up to the picture we'd imagine? It brings pain, it brings frustration. Oftentimes people have midlife crises and, and people panic and they freak out or they just settle. Others feel guilty or depressed or just plain old angry. You're like, man, we just should have stayed home today. It's, just, like, it's, kinda, it's not for everybody, I know. It's for me at least and and maybe it's for some of you, the word today. Some just feel stuck in the middle. This is where Elijah has found himself. The brook dried up. That's not supposed to have happened. That's not supposed to be how it works. Now, what do I do? The middle, in the middle. No, nobody wants to be in the middle. Am I right? Come on. Like when I was a kid, we didn't have SUVs and we didn't have minivans. We had middle seats with humps in the floor where there was no room for your own feet. And because I was the youngest of four, guess where I always got to sit. Come on. So does anybody remember the humps in the in the floor? Or is it just me? Like where you're like your feet are up here and everybody else is down there and comfortable. Like, young people, y'all don't know about that. Y'all sit in luxury leather, like we had velour or vinyl, and it was like you get in there, and it's the summertime, you get a third-degree burn. <laughs> you get up, and your pants are all sweaty already, <laughs> and you haven't even gone anywhere yet. Y- y'all don't know about that, see? Y'all got TVs and noise-canceling headphones? Man, we had humps in the floor. <laughs> You're lucky. Man, nobody wants the middle. It's It's not typically... Prime real estate, like when you get on a plane, the last place you want to have to sit is in the middle of an airplane, right? you got no place to put your arms because everybody's like hogging. They get, they get two, you get none. Like, like it's a leper colony in the middle. <laughs> right? You're like T-Rexing trying to get things and <laughs> get down there. You, God help you if you're, you to untie your shoe you know, because you're like, how do I even get down there? Like what do I do? I hate the middle, right? So if somebody tells you, hey man, you know what? You're a solid middle of the road. That's not a compliment, man. That's not, that's not good. Right? You, don't, you don't want to be middle. We think of middle as a place where we're stuck. Like, hey, I'm, in a tr- I'm stuck in the middle of a traffic jam. I'll get home when I can. Or, hey, I'm out here in the middle of nowhere. Cell phone's gone. You know, cell phone coverage is out. The only middle thing that I enjoy is the middle of a Cinnabon. Come on, right? Am I right on that? Just get, just get all that tough stuff out of there and get me to the manna from heaven. You know what I'm saying? Just be eating on that. I could have one right now. I'm not gonna lie. That smell gets you, right? The, the, the middle, man, it can be a wearisome place in, in, in regular life too, which is unfortunate because I think that a lot of us spend a lot of our time in the middle. In the middle, you don't have the freshness, that, that hope and that adrenaline of, of, of something that starts with, with a new beginning. And, and you don't have that sense of completion or celebration or at the very least, the relief of closure that accompanies the end. In the middle, it's often just trudging ahead one foot in front of the other. Too far to turn back now. Too far from the finish line to even know how much further I have to go, let alone see some light at the end of the tunnel. The middle can be the darkest place in the tunnel. The middle can feel exhausting. The middle can feel hopeless. And in the middle, in the middle is where faith gets tested so I'm in the middle in some seasons of my own life right now. And here's what I've learned about the middle. Some things, four things that I've learned. Number one that I've learned is that God is in the middle with us. But the sort of caveat to that is this notion that it won't always feel that way. You with me? Like God's there, but it won't always feel that way. I I I think of Job. If If you've never read the book of Job, please get that out and read it. It's it's an incredible story. And and the one thing, if if you've read about Job, then you know, here's a guy who goes through the darkest middle you'll ever read about. And and look what he says from the middle. Job 23, verse 8. Look, I I go forward, but he is not there. And, And I go backward, but I cannot perceive him. And when he works on the left, hand, like, I can see that he's doing something over here on the left, but I, I cannot behold him. And when he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. But, like, I, I think that anyone who's ever walked with Jesus for some time will tell you that there were moments, that there were seasons even when it seemed like he wasn't there. L- like my prayers were just echoes in an empty room bouncing around but not going anywhere and certainly not being answered. I, I think all of us can understand at some level in the, in, in the painful breakup that we went through or the divorce or the marriage that suffocates or the family dysfunction that seems like it's never going to get better, the financial troubles that, are going, that seem like they're going to swallow us up, that it's disorienting in those seasons, that it's, it's hard to see God at work or that he's there at all. Right, right, right. If you just if you just look at the circumstances of your life alone in in a a vacuum, it can seem like it can seem like God's not there. And, And this is what we do, right? Come on, think about this. If we're trying to figure out is God with us or is God not with us, we often do this based solely on how life is going in the moment. It's true, right? And a lot of us have our faith in God somehow tied up into our own personal hopes and dreams and so that when our hopes and dreams don't work out the way we thought they would, that our faith just sort of shrivels and, and loses some of its potency and it's not that we stop believing necessarily in God, it's just that we're not sure that he's actively engaged in our lives because if he were, how can my life be spinning out like it is right now? And, and, and if you look at Elijah's story at this point, I'm doing what God said and, and the brook dried up. You think, man, God sent him to the wrong place. God jacked that up. He clearly didn't uh, remember, oh, the, that brook's not gonna work out. But Elijah does something in this moment. and I, He doesn't say anything. He just does things that bear this out. He does something that many of us never do because his responsibility is not to try to manipulate or control or fix the situation. He's not digging in the ground, looking for an extra stream. His responsibility isn't even try to figure out why is this happening? It's simple, even if it wasn't easy, what he does. It was to do what anyone in his situation would do if they were completely sure that God was with them. But let's be honest. Isn't it hard to maintain your faithfulness to God when you're not sure of his faithfulness to you? Like, is that too honest? Is that, is that I, don't, I don't know, maybe you're like, nah, you shouldn't say it like that. Isn't it hard to continue to seek God, to follow God, when you're not even sure if he's with you anymore? It's hard to see God's hand at work when, when your dreams aren't are caving in or, or when your dreams aren't being realized and you feel completely stuck in the middle. It's hard when you're not any closer to getting married, when, when you're not any closer to a dream job, when you're not any closer to having a baby or being back in the health that you hoped for. It's, it's really hard in those moments in the middle this was Job's feeling. And this was Elijah's feelings. But when we, when we unravel the rest of the story, we get the opportunity to see that he was always there. And, and the writer of Hebrews makes this incredible statement, and, he, and he's quoting God. And he says, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I, would you say it with me, forsake you. Like, this is a quote from God. Never will I leave you, never will. Will I forsake you? The truth is that the God of heaven is the God who lives inside of our hearts so that wherever I'm at, God is there as well and he's promised, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You know, when I think about this, just in terms of the biblical record, I have so many stories that come to my mind, but I think, I think about the story of the, of the disciples out on the boat in the, in, in the middle. They're in the middle of, of a lake and the storm comes up, and, and, and the waves begin to, to, to rise, and the, and the wind begins to blow, and, and even these seasoned fishermen, some of them, are, are afraid that they're going to die, and so Jesus somehow is crashed out, just taking a power nap in the front of the boat, and, and, and they're like, hey, he didn't even, he didn't even care because he's letting us go through this storm, and Jesus wakes up, kind of gets on to them, and then he rebukes the wind and the waves, and says, be still, and the winds abate. And the disciples find in the middle of a lake, a revelation of Jesus that they would have never gotten from the shore. Because they say, who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey? And they understand in this moment, not only is he different than us, but he is 100% in control even when it seems like he's asleep at the wheel. And, And every day, you and I, Face a decision, a choice. I'm either going to react to my, my circumstances based on what I see them as, or I'm going to react as though no matter what it looks like, God is in this with me, that God is with me, that God is at work in my life, that God is going to see me through this rough patch. And when you look for God in the middle of, of the darkness, and you look for God in the middle of the junk of life, the Bible says that you will find him if you seek for him with your whole heart that God will always be there. There is this little known prophet named Zephaniah. Most of us have never heard of him. But he writes one of my most favorite verses, one of the most comforting verses in all of the text. And and here's what he says in chapter three. He says, the Lord your God is in your midst. He's in the middle with you. The, The mighty one, he will save, but not just save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He he will quiet you with his love. And then this amazing line, he will will rejoice over you with singing. Like, Like, I don't know what the song he's singing is, but even in the middle of your stuff, he will quiet you with his love and he sings songs over you. The psalmist David says in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Why? Why? For you are with me. He, go, he goes on and says, It's your rod and your staff that comfort me. And my first instinct is to go, What? How is a rod and a staff, which I think of, of as a weapon and a stick to, to beat on the sheep if they get out of line? Come on, somebody, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, like, how is that comforting? It's, it's because he knows that even through the darkest places where I don't even see his hand, I can feel him guiding, and I can feel him leading me, and he, I can know that he's with me, that he's always there in the middle. But the brook dried up. Look, look what the next verse says Verse 8, the brook dried up, then the word of the Lord came to him. Then, then, do you know what that implies? That God saw the brook every day getting smaller and smaller, that, that God let the brook dry up, that God allowed the bottom to fall out, and then he spoke, and then he moved. He allowed some desperation to occur in his life, and once he got it to the place, the brook to the place that he wanted it to be dried up, then he spoke. Then he showed up. God, I have found in my own life that God will often let the, the brook dry up in, in, in my life and in the, even in the life of a church to get us to the place of desperation, like where we're going. God, if you don't move, because desperation will often lead to revelation. The disciples never see Jesus the way they see him unless they're in a boat or he says, Peace be still. And they, they get revealed to them something that they had never seen before. The second thing I know, and the rest of them are much shorter, you guys can relax, is that God, because you're like four, that was like 12 minutes right there. It's okay. N- number two, God reveals himself in the middle. You, you know, a, a, a messy middle kind of a situation is, is one of the primary ways that God just awakens our need for him, gr- grows our dependence on him, shapes and forms character and then ultimately draws us closer to himself because life consists of messes and, and most of the time they're not something that we've done wrong, they just happen and, 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 and sometimes God allows them to happen because he wants to draw us into a deeper dependence on himself and to reveal something to himself that we haven't seen before. In, in the middle, we often get desperate enough to, to, to slow down long enough to go, God, please, please, would you, would you move, would you speak, would you... Would you show yourself? Because oftentimes when we're just on the mountaintop, we stop trusting, we stop, we stop depending, we we stop acknowledging who it is that's provided this, and we start to think, look what I did, look what I, look what I've accomplished, look what my great intellect or my great skill ha- has accomplished, and and as long as Elijah is getting sandwiches and 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 bottled water while hanging out at this resort, I'm making stuff up now. He was comfortable, like, but now I've got now that I've got your attention, Elijah. Now you can hear me. Now that you're really listening, now I can take you now I can form you now I can mold you so that I can take you where I have for you next which is the thing that we read about when we opened. now I don't know how God works in your life but in my life this has been true over and again when God's needed to get my full and undivided attention he's let the brook dry up and it's in that moment that he reveals and it's that moment that he shows himself more clearly it's not only that he shows himself he shows things about me my worst ways, my ways that I've ignored, the things that my blind spots. And he goes, Danny, you gotta, I need you to work on this, man, I I, I wanna help you. He reveals. The third thing he does is that God does his, his best work in the middle. Because you remember when I talked to you about Job, where he says, hey, I'm looking around, I can't find him anywhere, but look at the very next thing he says, but he knows the way that I take. He says, I, can't, I look to the right, I look to the left, I look behind me, I look forward. I can't find him anywhere, but, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. See, see this is the modern way of, of Christianity. We think, hey, I want the gold. I want the victory. I want the celebration. But we don't want the process that is involved in getting to the goal. Like, like, like I love this song that we sing. We go from glory to glory, glory. Never be the same. That's how I read the Bible like this. You know what I'm saying? Never be. I'm from the 80s, man. 2 Corinthians 3.18. This is where that song comes from. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord to Spirit. And so we're like, yeah, glory. I've been singing songs about glory from glory to glory, mountaintop to mountaintop. We go from glory to glory, we go from mountaintop to mountaintop, but we forget the part that says, and we are being transformed. And transformation is what? It's hard like some of you are like you're trying to transform something about yourself and you're like man my new year's resolutions are hard and some of you like new year's resolutions I gave them up on the third day in January like I'm not doing that it's too hard transformation is hard because gold gets refined where in in the fire but the fire doesn't destroy the gold It only makes it better. But the process is harsh. Read about it yesterday. It's fire or it's chemicals. Both are harsh. Both strip away. This is why James, the little brother of Jesus, says in chapter one, he says, the testing of our faith, it produces... That there is a product born in people that cannot be produced in any other way but times of testing in the middle. There are no shortcuts. There are no hacks. There are no workarounds. But the middle is where God does his best work. What that means is that there is purpose in the middle. Romans 8, 28, it's not on the screen, but I just want to read it for you, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And this is our bumper sticker verse, and we love this verse, like, oh yeah, it makes sense. But the next verse tells us how God does it. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, See, there it is. God wants us to become more like Jesus in the middle. And it's what helps the middle make sense that you know there's purpose, there's, God is doing his best work while we're in the middle. The question is can I be faithful in the middle? Can, can I trust in the middle? Can I serve from the middle? Can I give in the middle? Can I trust God in the middle? The other thing that I'm learning and and I could could teach you other things but this is all I have time for is that I found that in the middle there's joy that comes through faithfulness in the middle. You know, I read to you the end of the story in the opener, right? I I told you the story. Elijah goes up on the mountain. He kicks everybody's rear. There's great momentum in his life but Elijah would have never experienced this moment of celebration and victory unless he had gone through the middle of desperation and revelation and seeing God's hand at work all the way through his life. He wouldn't have that sort of tried and, and tested faith. that gave him the audacity to walk up to that mountain and challenge those prophets to a faith duel. Like, who does that? Who says, get everybody out here, get your 450 and bring them all up in here and I'm gonna come at them, you know, like a spider monkey chip. <laughs> I will come at you like a spider monkey. Like, who does this? Like I'm not gonna, I'm not rolling out and doing what this does unless, unless something has been born in me, something has been shaped in me, something has been tested in me to the extent that I know that God is with me. I know that God is for me. I'll step out here and do it. But that only happens. That only happens in the middle. There's no other way. The middle was a bit painful. The middle was probably scary. But it was that very time, that very, that, that fear, that whatever it was, that, that form that shaped him, that, that made him capable of facing down his adversary. You know, I love the book of Psalms, man. If you're not a Bible person and you're like, oh, I'd like to read the scriptures, but I don't know where to start, start there. It's the most authentic, the most real and raw that you'll, you'll find, and, and I love it. And I was a worship leader for, for many, many years, and, and I would go to the Psalms just to, just to inspire me and to, to sing the songs of David, even though I didn't know the rhymes or the rhythms or whatever. But, but this, this particular one here, Psalm 30, verse five, is so good. Because it gives us insight into to, to the character, the nature of God and how he works with us. For, for his anger lasts, what? Only a moment. But his favor lasts a lifetime. Like, if you're wondering, does God ever get mad? Yeah. Whom the Lord loves, the Bible says he chastens. He, 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 he takes off his belt every now and then. Oh, no, my God, my God's warm and fuzzy. No, 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 your God takes off his belt and, and slaps you around every now and then. <laughs> Jesus loves you, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Weeping may stay for the night, it goes on but rejoicing comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. The lesson from the middle is that when we're being stretched to the end of our limits, we're not being punished by God, we're being prepared by God for something unbelievable because the testing of our faith produces, it produces, go read the rest of that verse, it produces incredible things that you cannot receive any other way. He's setting us up for potentially a big win, but you've got to be willing to go through the seasons of desperation and revelation to experience and enter into the times of celebration. Some of you may be going through something right now that is unbelievably hard or difficult, but I have to believe that God is setting you up for the biggest win of your life because He is that great and He is that good and that's the God that you and I serve. Now I know, I know that many of you can't wrap your brain around that, you can't rally around that truth because of where you're at currently right now. Because in those moments we feel alone, in those moments we feel like nobody else knows what I'm going through, nobody else is going through what I'm going through, nobody else has ever been down this road, the hurt, the anguish, the the pile of badness that I'm sort of wallowing in, I'm totally alone here. Could could we do just something for a, a second? This is where we show as a church that we're a family not just a bunch of strangers that meet here for an hour and 10 minutes or so on, once a week. Here's that sort of litmus test. I, I, wonder, I wonder if there's anyone bold enough to say that at least some part of my life is not going according to script. In some area of my life, maybe not all of it, but in some area, life is not happening in the way that I would have predicted or scripted it. Um, can, can you just raise your hand if that's you right now? Would you just raise your hand? Look, raise them up high. Come on. Don't be afraid of it. Look around, just for a moment, just look around. I'm only doing this because I want you to know that you're not alone, that there are people who are sick, there are people who are struggling, there are people who are dealing with family things, there are people who are dealing with children, there are people who are dealing with sickness, there are people dealing with financial stuff all around you, which is why, by the way, that we push life groups so hard because that's where we get honest. It may take six or eight weeks, but that's where we get real. we meet somebody and go, hey man, can I talk to you, can we get coffee? I gotta tell you what's going on in my life. That's where the good stuff happens. Here's the question, when you don't know what to do next, when you're not sure what you're supposed to be doing, when you're not sure if even what you're doing right now is right, the question is, can you trust God? Can you maintain faith in him when there seems to be no evidence of his faithfulness or his activity in your life? Can you continue to maintain faith in your heavenly father when nothing suggests that his hands are currently involved in your life and are are around me? I think the, le- the thing that maybe we leave with today is are you willing to, in, this, in the middle, are you willing to surrender your need of control? Are, are you willing to, can I just say it like this? Are you willing to surrender the illusion of control that you seem to think that you have, that I have? Because at the end of the day, it's only an illusion. Your money, your success, your career, your health, you're not in control, really, of much of it. The economy can change. A diagnosis can happen. And I don't say that to bring anybody down. It's just an illusion where there's no control. Can you take your hands off the wheel and sing a country song, Jesus Take the Wheel? Come on, don't start singing it because then it'll get stuck in our heads and then we'll never be able to stop singing it. Can you do that? See, see, here's the other thing I think, and, and I promise I'm done here. So, some of us think, you know, I know that the Bible says that Jesus was in all points tempted the way that we are, and he doesn't, he doesn't, I mean, but, but, but man, he, he lived you know, a couple thousand years. Ago. He didn't have the same stuff as us. Can, can, can he really know? Yeah, he can really know. You, you know what? I don't have time to say this, but I'm gonna say it anyways. Don't I always say what I want to say Anyways, anyways. Uh. Do you know that on the, the darkest day of Jesus' life, they nailed him to a cross and they raised him up. Do you know where they crucified him? In the middle, between a thief on the right and a thief on the left. And then they took him down, when he died, they took him down and you know where they buried him? They buried him a tomb in a tomb in the middle of, of a garden. There in the dark though, in the middle of the tomb, in the garden. In the grave, in the ground, something happened and something stirred and something called to Jesus. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. And on the third day, the stone was rolled away and the grave was empty and the angels came down and the women were astonished and the disciples were doubtful. And Jesus appeared to them and you know what he said? He said, I am alive and I am risen forevermore. And he arose and he triumphed over death and over hell and over the grave. And here's the crazy thing because of that one fact, you and I can actually skip to the back of the book and read a story and you know what you're going to find there at the back of the book that you win and I win and we win and we make it through and we end up victorious with the risen savior in heaven someday that's the back of the book that's the end of the story but in the here and the now in the middle can you just leave here believing God is in the middle with me he's gonna reveal something to me and he does his best work in me in here in the middle and at the end of it, there's joy coming. Father, we just, uh, we're grateful for this moment, we're grateful for this space, we're grateful for this season, we're grateful for this time, all the struggles, all the setbacks, all of the feelings of powerlessness or hopelessness That the middle can produce in us god i i know it's not for everybody but lord i'm praying for those somebodies in this room today who just needed a word from the lord who came in here going god please say a word for me that i'll know some people who are genuinely broken who are genuinely afraid who are genuinely worried to the extent that they are losing sleep they're losing weight. They're losing all sorts of manner of things that are valuable to them because, because they don't know how it's gonna turn out. Would you just give them the assurance that you see them, that you know them, that you are with them, that you are for them, and that even if they're walking through a valley of the shadow of death, that you are with them? That you're with them, that you're for them, that you're not gonna forget them. That you've not forgotten them, that you've not forsaken them. Can we sing this just for a moment? Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Faithfulness. I'm still in.